Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent focusing on everything to do with sexuality, relationships, identity, and more. We touch on a wide variety of topics ranging from how to have feminist sex to how dating has changed in the post-Me Too era. I'm your host, Olivia Fetter, and today on the programme, I'm joined by poet Charlie Cox and former stylist turned body positivity activist Grace Woodward to discuss sacrifice in relationships. Enjoy the show. Hello. Hello. We should say that more sexily. Hello. Hi. So today's discussion centres around sacrifice in relationships. So Charlie, I'm going to start by asking you about this because I read your poetry collection last night and the lead poem seems to be particularly about this topic but not in the conventional sense. Do you mind if I quote a few lines from your poem? You may. Okay, so uh, one of the, a few of the lines read like this. Fascinate me as I fabricate me. Salivate as I let you navigate me. Masturbate at how inadequate I find me. No idea of what I want or who I am sans vanity. So I wondered, in reference to that, which parts of ourselves do you think we often sacrifice in relationships to kind of create this, like, optimised self for another person? I think more so recently I've come to realise that for so long I sacrificed the truth of who I was as someone with a mental illness because I was so frightened of that not being sexy or attractive, which is kind of hilarious because obviously that is not sexy or attractive, mm. nor should it be, um, because that's ridiculous. But I spent so much time trying to keep that away because I was so terrified that somebody would find that disgusting or a bit weird or inconvenient or like, oh, God, do I have to deal with that? It sort of sounds a bit more like, I'm looking for a carer, not a boyfriend, which isn't true. Um, and within all of those insecurities, I think f- for a really long time, I have pushed myself down into this completely different version of me that ironically actually isn't more put together or more sane or more happy in the relationship. I'm actually probably doing things that are more conventionally mad or a bit stupid or insane and on the whole feel a lot more miserable. So yeah, I think I, I used to. I'm making a really big deal of it at the moment to not have that as a sacrifice anymore. So how do you? Are you very honest with the people that you date at the beginning? Are you quite upfront about it, and you say, "Look, these are the things that I struggle with on a daily basis." Um, well, the 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 curse and the and the great thing, I suppose, of being online and being so painfully honest, um, and having a book that talks about so many really dark depressing things is most boys now already know before they've met me that I struggle with lots of different things so it now is a case of first dates and I sort of have to sit and assume that they've already read something about me or if they're that bothered by it they have the means to 
to learn and explore. What's wrong with my brain? Um, for those who aren't familiar with your work, would you mind briefly explaining, to use your quote, what's wrong with your brain? <laughs> uh, my name is Charlie Cox and I have bipolar 2 disorder, PTSD, anxiety and depression. I'm a barrel of laughs. <laughs> Anyone fancy me yet? <laughs> See? So do you really get, you go on dates with people and they know this stuff about you already? Yeah, and it's... It becomes, or now it's definitely become a thing of, a, a safe feeling of, well, I'm going to assume you, you might already know this. And if you're still here, it means that you're probably not a wanker because you haven't sought issue in it or you haven't thought, oh, God, like what does that mean for me? But she's a bit broken. Yeah, or she's mm. got baggage. Mm. Oh, God, I've heard that one many times. Mm. Baggage is such a horrible word, mm. especially when it's not... Especially when it's something about your personality, like and something about like a mental health condition. Like, how is that? How can that be described as baggage? Yeah, it's absolutely not baggage. The stupid things and the regrettable things that I've done off the back of my mental illness probably baggage, <laughs> but the the thing itself, mm. no, it's just a, a a quirk in the chemistry of me. And why do you think you have sort of? I mean, for obvious reasons, but why do you think you have squashed? certain parts of your real personality why have you felt pressured do you think to do that when you date people is it the, is it in the first stages specifically yeah I'm I am a massive romantic and I mean I'm a poet so I feel like that goes without saying but mm. I love the idea of love and Ever since I was a little girl, I couldn't wait to have a boyfriend and I wanted to be fancied. And you know, all of these things definitely have problematic roots and probably some some daddy issues and and just, you know, being a girl in a very confusing world. Um, and then because of that feeling, I think I've just been so willing to do anything that makes me seem appealing. Mm. You know, I'm so desperate to be accepted and loved by men I'm really not doing myself any favors <laughs> I think it really no but I, this is why I wanted to talk about this because I think I think when you're dating someone or even when you're in a long-term relationship it really brings any anxieties you have about the person you are whether it's a mental illness or whether it's a flaw you have you perceive that you have about the way that you look all of that really comes up when you start dating someone because mm. you feel pressured to be this perfect version of yourself. So I wanted to ask you about this, Grace, because you obviously speak a lot about how when you worked in fashion, it changed your relationship with bo your body and gave you toxic body image and made you more conscious of the way you looked, as I'm sure anyone who works in fashion would, mm. you know, experience. So I wondered if, you know, if you think when we meet someone we can feel inclined to change the way we look as well in order to suit another person's tastes. And how much of that do you think is a normal part of meeting someone and getting to know someone, you know, like wanting to dress up for a date and wanting to look a certain way? And then how much of that is actually, again, sacrificing who we really are and putting on a front? I mean, I think there's there's a difference between putting on a front and women being empaths. And we all do that thing about, well, I want them to like me, so I'm going to do things that they like. It's it's like it's it's like a visual version of gifting. You know, it's like, you know, 
oh, yes, I'm going to please you. But guys do it too. This isn't just something that women do. Guys often think, oh, well, was, she, was she like that? Or, you know, and I think that, uh, I think for the bad experiences a lot of us have had with men is we tar men with the same brush, that they're all just like bullish, unthinking, uncaring, uh, sort of animals. And it's like, well, actually, guys, toxic masculinity doesn't help men at all. Um, And I think that guys also want to, we all want to please each other. That's a part of attraction. So I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it depends on how far your facade goes in terms of, if something's not going right, doing that kind of, you know, the relationship is a seesaw. It's trying to keep the balance always. And if your seesaw is out of balance, then, you know, it's not going right. Um, but I think men do have um, an ability to not see what's going on. And women have this empath thing where they just keep giving and giving and giving. Because that is in our nature that we just can't help that. Mm. Um there was another point I was going to make there, but I can't remember what it is. Do you um, think the idea of... Because obviously the idea of wanting to always be giving and wanting to always be empathetic feeds into this idea of then changing ourselves. Do you think because of that, then women probably do make more sacrifices in relationships than men do? I don't think so. I, th- I think it goes back to the seesaw thing that I just said. I think that when you find a balance, you know when it's out of balance and you know when actually you're like, uh, that's that's a relationship that won't work. When you find that kind of um, sweet spot, I think that's when you're kind of both relaxed enough to let the shutters down and not put up. I think that having gone to sort of, you know, sort of some major emotional swings in my life through trauma and stuff, um, when my mum died, um, I immediately put all of my emotional shutters up. And once you put one up, they all go up. You you know, if you're trying not to feel pain, you won't feel happiness either. And I think that when, if you're, if you're facading so much, if you're putting so much of a mask on, the wheels will come off anyway. Mm. You know, for a long time in my life, actually, I feel like I was trying to be like that best version of myself anyway, regardless of, of if it was for a guy or relationship, it was for actually just a coping me- mechanism to get through life. And the wheels fall off at some point because you cannot keep up that facade for long enough. So I think that, you know, these days I think it's much harder because you've got your Insta life, you know, you've got your social media life. And I think that unless you can let that down quite quickly with somebody it does keep, it's like a hell of a lot of work to keep that up. And eventually, and when I, my, I guess an example of this would be, I married my husband when I was doing a lot of TV. And so I was like a sort of TV personality, sort of, I would never have called myself a celebrity, but you know, people, if you're on TV, think you're a celebrity. And there's a whole kind of lifestyle that goes that with it. You have to pedal to keep up, keep your profile up, keep seen. So it's always like what you're wearing, being photographed and all of this, that, that, and you have to live your life like that. And so my husband married that woman, whether he saw beneath that to the person I was, and now I'm not that person. I'm like, well, and we've done couples counseling recently. And I was a bit like, well, so what were you attracted in when, when we met? He was like, well, you know, you're, you're fun and exciting. We're living this under life. And I'm like, okay, now we live in, you know, the countryside and we have a six-year-old. You know, how does that relate? Because you change. And I was like, I can't keep up with that mm. because I'm not that person anymore. But that's the person he married. Well, I was listening to um, 
someone talking about the other day on a podcast about how within a relationship you have sorts of lots of mini relationships because mm. especially in something long term how long have you been married for um seven years yeah. and we've been dating on and off for like 12 13 years so within that i'm sure there are many different stages yeah we split up for a year and a half you know and then you know for various reasons we've got back together mm. and you do and we've got to a stage now we're like seven year itch definitely and you get to that point where you're like oh wow that's just not a cliche that mm. actually happens that you're like oh. you know you sort of he's working super hard i'm working super hard but i'm also bringing up a six-year-old and then you're like well you'd what you don't do is the relationship you do everything else and then you're suddenly like oh wow we haven't given each other much you know a relationship is a constant changing thing it really is how much do you think charlie when you talk about uh, owning your own map in your poem overseas i thought to me that feels like you're talking about just like what grace was saying shedding that facade and just owning who you are and you know, making compromises, but also at the same time just being, you know, autonomous in your relationship and feeling the confident to do that, the, having the confidence to do that. Is that is that kind of what you meant by that phrase? Yeah, that um, that poem was written in LA, and that sounds so bougie and so wanky. <laughs> I was in LA sounds writing great, poetry. Friendly. You can stay <laughs> home with my six year old if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> His name's Larkin, of course I want to hang out with him. Um, yeah, I was away and I had gone for a man, I had gone for love, and that very quickly broke down. And ordinarily, you know, I was on my own, I was 5,000 miles away from um, the people that would ordinarily support me and look after me through a heartbreak. And something within me, instead of feeling so downtrodden and upset and as though the universe was punishing me and that I was unlovable and here it was happening again I was just this ugly fat troll in America <laughs> finally being uncloaked for who she really was and do you know what I cannot think of anything worse than getting on a flight home heartbroken so why didn't I cancel my flight and stay for an extra four weeks and redo the trip and there must be a reason why I've been brought here. And that is something within me, whether that was a learning or a teaching that had come in disguise as love or in disguise as a relationship or in disguise as a man. There was something much bigger and more exciting there if I didn't wallow in the idea of loss. That's really interesting because it sounds like initially you went there obviously for this guy. Mm. So that's sort of disguised as a sacrifice. You're making, you're, you know, you're changing up your whole life to move across the world for this person. Yeah. How long had you known him for at the time? Nine months. Nine months. But the last time we spoke, I had just met him. How funny. Wow. That's I remember come, that. That's come full circle. I remember that. So for people who listened to Millennial Love last year, we had Charlie on as a guest to talk about her first collection, She Must Be Mad. And I remember you telling me about this guy. That's so funny. That's so bizarre. So I'm really interested about how you decided to then sort of reclaim the narrative and extend the trip for four weeks. So what kind of things did you get up to in that four weeks? It was the best thing I have ever done wholeheartedly. I, I just had to switch something on in my brain, which I'd never... I'd never done before because I also think in 
in a way that I, we're all guilty of at some point and I have I'm learning to be a lot softer on myself and that I am still quite young and I don't have all the answers and all of these are still relatively fresh and new experiences for me so I can't always pretend to myself that I've got wisdom to get me through it I don't sometimes it is just shit we've got to learn real quick here and I took myself out for dinner every night and I would sit in bars on my own and I booked I mean it was it was very 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 expensive and I came home my god I'm gonna have to work really hard now um but I just did all these things that in my head I thought I was gonna do with him and went and did them on my own and met the most amazing people mm. and really just found a version of me that, unbeknownst to me during that relationship, I hadn't seen. And because I had sacrificed so much within that to the point of finding myself in America, it then, it was almost like a mass exodus of my body just suddenly going, well, you're now free of having to try, like be this person that you have been trying to be for nine months and you're in a place where nobody knows what that is, let alone you. So why don't we just try it out? Like, who are you now? Who Who is this person without having to, to fake or lie? And it was amazing. It was, yeah, the, the best breakup I've ever gone through. Have you ever moved across the world, Grace, for a man? No. I feel like that's the most, when you think of yeah, sacrificing yeah, yeah. something, that's probably the biggest example. Somebody did, <laughs> I used to work for the Erotic Review, and when they came back out recently, they said, you know, what's the craziest thing you'd ever, you'd have ever done for love? I think what they wanted it to be like is like, oh, you know, we fucked in a JCB or something <laughs> like that, you know. Um, I was like, I got married. You know, it's like, that is the insanest thing that you would do for love. It's bonkers. You sort of think that you are going to promise to be with this person for the rest of your life. That's almost impossible these days anyway. And actually, I've been looking at when wedding vows, that whole thing, you know, the, the, the whole thing, till death do us part, was written in the 14th century when people died at 30. So it's like, what happens yeah. when you're like, you know, you get past 30 and you're like, oh, shit, well, we didn't think about this, about did that. we? You know, yeah, they're really, really ancient vows. And... And so we're not equipped with, you know, what we're signing up to because the wed wedding industry is a machine. It's, you know, the minute you go, you want to, you know, you want a jug of orange juice at your wedding, that's £27, please. And you're like, no, I mean, I know how much orange juice costs, yeah. by the way. And so it's a it's an amazing um, consumerist machine of which we're all pushed towards. That's why it's, you know, having any other kind of thought space about getting married is kind of, you know, it's it's tough. It's kind of not taboo, but it's just like, um, if you want to be alternative about it, it's kind of like you have to be other mm. rather than just be like, because I feel like when we got married, I did it as a kind of, not a PR stunt, that sounds like I'm an absolute <laughs> arsehole, but it was a part of what I was doing, the trajectory of what women on TV do they should be living this kind of normative life. So the next big PR thing is the marriage, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I felt real pressure to do that. And actually now, looking back on it, I never would have spent the money. I would have done it in a completely different way. Mm. And I would have, wouldn't have been so pressured by society if I wasn't in the pressure cooker of, like, kind of being in the public eye. And I don't think there's enough kind of space around that either. And also like the whole thing about why you get into relationships because it feels like guys will go, that women go from 
you know, meeting to fifth date to marriage in like, you know, in like five seconds. And you're like, well, well, no, actually, not necessarily. You know, there's that thing that guys are like, oh, she, you know, she just wants commitment. And you're like, well, do, do I, do I really, is that what I want? Isn't that like, actually, what I want to meet somebody is just like, you know, we can just hang out and work it out. It doesn't mean we have to hurtle towards sort of uh, normative coupling. Now that you have been married for seven years, did mm, you say? Mm -hmm. Do you think you've got to a place where you can now recognise when you feel compelled to do something that is actually beyond a compromise and it's it's it feels like it's too much and it feels like if you did this thing for your husband, you would be um, compromising on something that actually is really going to have a long-term impact on you afterwards? Do you feel like you can recognise when something like that comes up now? Um, I think having a child is an incredible sacrifice for a woman. Mm. I don't. I still don't think we're supported in the way that it's, it, you know, because it's not an, an internally changing thing for a man, it's an external thing. Um, and the way that women are supported in the workplace through childbirth, especially being freelance, for me, it was very, very tough. And... I had a row with my husband not long ago. And he was like, we're going to force you to have a baby. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Because I don't think it's discussed enough about the huge changes that women go through, are supposed to go through literally overnight. Like you give birth, you're supposed to change. You're supposed mm. to become like a mother, right there and then. And there's no guidebook for that. It doesn't matter. You know, you can have support from your mother or grandmother. And you still don't really know how you're meant to do that overnight change. And I still think that it's a very female sacrifice that you, especially now, that we're like, you know, I feel it's like the the biggest sort of patriarchal joke that it's like, okay, girls, what you want, you want a career and you want to have kids and you want to do this, you know, you want to have big balls. Okay, there it is. You go and deal with it all. And you're like, oh, wow, this is hard. And so we're now, we're all being, you know, absolutely promoted to be like, you know, taxpayers. Like we're all meant to be like career women and because it, you know, helps the economy. But nobody sort of helps you through the bit where you're like, oh, so what I've done is I've made my entire identity about my work. And then all of a sudden you have a kid and you're like, oh, wow, that doesn't work anymore. And that was a huge... And I think sacrifice is, is, is a strong word because it makes me... It, it makes it sound like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have a child. But... There, you, I've had to sacrifice parts of myself that I would still like to be because I'm now you know, a carer for somebody. Yeah, my um, my best friend has a kid and it's really funny because people are always surprised to hear that she still comes out with us on the weekends mm. and she, come, she lives in the countryside and she, of course she comes out with us and she is normal and she's not talking about nappies and... Yeah. And, you know, what colour her kid's poo is. Like, of course, she's, she's the same person. It's so it's so strange. There's such a taboo around motherhood still. And also what I found is you get retired, whether you want to or not. The minute you're not a sexually available woman, and, and part of my project about body of work, the, the hardest post that I put on there mm. was a really sexy image. And I was like, oh, that the, the people are not... I, I don't call myself a, like a body positive... Instagrammer, I'm just curious about it because my mum had an eating disorder and I've always had real massive issues with my body and it's actually stopped me from getting jobs because of the, I just have no confidence at all. 
So I decided to actually grab that and be like, I need to do some work around this. The hardest one was putting up a sexy image of myself at 43 because the minute you have kids, like, you don't exist anymore because you're just not in the market. It's like you're retired. And that kind of goes down the line of women you get to 50 and some of the feedback that I've been getting from Instagram is women say, I I heard that you were it became invisible. Mm. I didn't realize it happened. Like it happens to other people. That's why it no but it just happens to everybody. And that's a kind of weird sacrifice in itself when you sort of pair off to one person you realize you become like invisible to the entire world. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now it's time for our Lessons in Love segment, where I ask each guest to describe one lesson they've learned through their experiences. Grace, your lesson feels pretty appropriate to start with, given what we've been discussing, uh, particularly with Charlie's poetry, the idea of morphing yourself into another to suit someone else's desires. I feel like if that is something that you find yourself doing in relationships time and time again, probably means that you're choosing the wrong people. I think so. Um, <laughs> is that, is that sort of like, what your lesson is about? Do you want to tell, explain your lesson? Okay, so um, I started with a, it's a quote from the Bible, I think it's from Jeremiah. Um, which and it says um, the heart is deceitful above all else. I might have misquoted that. Um, so my my thinking behind that is that I uh, Charlie and I both you know we we sort of meet on a mental health level, but also we are um, we had fathers that left, um, and that so did I. oh right. This is why we're sitting here deeply talking about relationships. Exactly. <laughs> because I really think it puts you on the back foot. If you don't have a great relationship with your father, you're always like, this, it's such a complex need that you have from men. Uh, the validation, um, the love, the sort of the, the daddy levels, but also the lover levels, the carer levels. Um, and that was a, it was a really complicated thing for me. I didn't get married till I was 37. Um, and I spent a long time being single as well because I was just a bit like, um, what I'm doing is damaging to myself and I'm just going to have some time out and maybe just grow a bit myself and try and just um, heal myself so that then I can be on a parallel with with if I want to have a partner. Um, so I don't trust my mind or my heart in relationships because I get massive um, rushes of um, 
hormones that which completely like mess with your head. Um, and Charlie's written about this. And um, it's just so you can't trust yourself. You get these, you know, massive rushes of feelings that aren't necessarily true. They won't, they aren't, they wouldn't be how you would act in a normal, rational circumstance. And how do you keep it? How do you keep that under check? And I said to Charlie, we were we were talking about coming on here, and I was like, you know, I literally, by the time my knickers have hit the floor, I'm in love with them. Mm-hmm. This is not rational behavior. Yeah. How do you overcome that? How do you know when you actually have met someone and your feelings are genuine? So I have the dichotomy with my husband. I never got the big like oxytocin rush. Mm. I never got the big kind of like tummy flip, that kind of crazy, you know, that sort of uh, what people call the honeymoon period. But what I did get with my husband is possibly what I need, not what I wanted. Because I possibly had my list upside down. Because, you know, at the top was like, you know, like, you know, handsome, successful, la, 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 la. And what I got was not the opposite, but what somebody who was just, it was like, oh, well, I wasn't, I really got, you know, kind of sidelined by that. And I was like, okay, he's completely the opposite of what I thought I wanted. However, we can go to the supermarket together and not row. And, you know, we can just do just general shit and just rub along together quite well. And actually, funnily enough, my sister, who's 29, just got married this weekend. And... The, one of the readings was Captain Corelli's Mandolin from Captain Corelli's Mandolin. And it's it's a bit of, it's a bit hardcore in a church when you're love is not all you think it is. And you're like, okay, wow. Uh, my brother was reading it and was like, oh my God, did he make this up? <laughs> but basically it says like when all of the pretty flowers have fallen away, when you've got the intertwined roots and you realize you're not two trees but one, that's kind of it. When all the like the fancy stuff or the jazzy like dinners and stuff like that when you can be really high you can be like oh my god this is amazing because that because because that can keep you on a super high for an an amount of time but actually it's the it's the mundane stuff that actually where love deep love is it's not the oh well let's go and drink champagne and you know and cruise Mm -hmm. around and have fancy dinners the the long-term love is just people you can basically put up with Mm. <laughs> Charlie, would you like to share your lesson? Um, I could have listened to that for a lot longer. Um, <laughs> my, what well, I feel, I would be wrong to suggest that I really knew what love was or is. I definitely know what my idea of it is, and I have my projected um, sort of hope for what it will be and what it will look like in the future, and. Within that, my greatest lesson so far is forgiveness um, on on both sides. So my best teachers were disguised as lovers. Some of the best things I've ever learned have been from people I really thought were supposed to be in love with me, and they just weren't. And at the time, I was so angry about that and so cross and so heartbroken and furious with the world. And over time learning to forgive those people in that situation and perhaps maybe they were just supposed to be there in that moment to show me what I didn't need or what I shouldn't have or where I shouldn't be and having done that a it frees up a huge amount of emotional space within you because you're not resenting someone anymore which is so incredibly toxic and exhausting and all-consuming but it also means now I've got these amazing 
male friends that I do still really need and I do still really value. They just weren't supposed to be my boyfriend. Or... So you're friends with quite a lot of your exes? Yeah. That's there's, so mature. That's very impressive. There's certainly some that I'm not and have absolutely no intention of <laughs> ever being friends with. But I have, you know, a, a good handful of some of my best mates now are people that at one time I probably called my mum mm. snotty nose sobbing down the phone. Um, and that and that feels like a really powerful, lovely, good thing these aren't the ones do you remember you told me about the guy recently that you spent a lot of time not having sex with <laughs> and he's like oh yeah charlie we we did a lot of kissing <laughs> okay so please tell that story. yeah um he might actually work in this building you know um so i uh this is a slight tangent but i can bring it back full circle so i about four years ago <laughs> embarrassing I hate you so much <laughs> um about four years ago I tried out an experiment where I thought to see if someone really does love me and if they are really interested in me as a person and not my sausage roll fueled body um maybe I should just try not to have sex with them for as long as possible which is a really miserable idea and I cannot tell you how dumb and ill-advised that was nobody gets anything from it. I think many people have tried that it's before. It's just, again, like the naivety of youth, it's yeah, fine, I'll never do it again. it's just the whole idea of like, oh yeah, don't give up your treasure yet. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Keep yeah. going oh, keen. Yeah, where's my treasure? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so then eventually it just, you know, it, uh, it, it didn't work out because <laughs> I didn't sleep with him. Um, or he didn't sleep with me rather, or that situation never arised anyway I bumped into him at a festival last year and uh, <laughs> I was like wow who is that beautiful man walking towards me and then realised it was him and as my friend asked oh how do you guys know each other he very oh. sweetly bent down and went um Charlie and I used to do a lot of kissing <laughs> I said that <laughs> Charlie and I used to do a lot of kissing um and I felt mortified I was like oh god that's how you remember me but within the line of um, forgiveness for giving you know guys that weren't in love with me or had made mistakes I know that there are things like that you know that was a mistake that was that was not something that worked out and you know perhaps had I not have taken this vow of celibacy for literally no reason um but I think there is a reason behind it you know I think there is still this taboo of do you put out you know mm -hmm. do you have sex on first dates you know does it you know and it's like oh there is still this kind of terrible patriarchal hangover that it's like there's a whole judgy stuff yeah. going on mm. there and it's quite hard to navigate, especially you were really young there. I, you know, I I still feel like, na but you know, I'm 43. I'm like, I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of whatever, whether they speak to me again or whatever. I, you know, I've just got to that stage where it's like, actually, I don't care anymore mm. because not what somebody else thinks of me it's not going to affect. Mm. Well, of course it does. I'm like, oh my God, what do they think of me? Oh. But, you know, I have got to that point where I decide, actually, life is too short. Yeah, and also there's just this toxic myth that, you know, if you do sleep with someone on the first date, it then sets a precedent for how the rest of your relationship will unfold. It's like, well, this clearly isn't something, isn't going to be anything serious. And it's like absolute rubbish. Like yeah. there are, I know so many people who have had long-term relationships and yeah, they happen to have slept with the person on the first date. It makes no impact if you feel comfortable you do what makes you feel comfortable and if you don't you don't and I just feel like we shouldn't 
hold each other to these bizarre, like you mm-hmm. said, patriarchal standards. How long did you make him wait, can I ask, before you ended the relationship? Before he ended the relationship. (laughs) (coughs) And that tells you everything you have. Am I right, ladies? Um, Two and a half months. Right, okay. Really, like, decent amount of time. When he ended it, did he say, this is why? No, but we both knew, and I... Yeah, I didn't. I, d- I didn't hate him for it. I thought, yeah, <laughs> kind of feel like I've left it a bit late now. And mm. but also interesting. It's like, mm, well, maybe I just didn't actually fancy you that much. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I think it's an interesting social experiment, actually. Yeah. And henceforth, I've not hated myself for doing that. That's all we have time for this week on Millennial Love. Follow Independent Lifestyle on social media to keep up to date with what's coming up on the show. And if you're a new listener, remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. Also, leave us a rating and comment with your thoughts on our conversation today. Until next time, thanks a lot for listening. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.